0: Well, this morning I want to talk to you about how to overcome worry in a worrisome world. How many of you know that we live in a worrisome world, in a world that that causes worry, that causes anxiety? I think it's interesting that there are some popular songs over the years about not worrying, and some of those songs seem like, uh, good advice. I like to listen once in a while to the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, you know, it's got some good advice on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, some people who, who might be going through some real severe trials might think it's kind of flippant, like, really? Is it really that easy? Uh, the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. It's a fun song, right? Well, I like to listen to that and, and uh, maybe dance to it. It's, it's a fun song because I'm happy. There's a song by Bob Marley. And I thought about this because Friday night I was at Target and uh, I saw some t-shirts and there was a t-shirt with Bob Marley. I'm not a huge Bob Marley fan. I don't really know much about his music, but I do a little, l- a little bit. And there's a song that he recorded a while back. And the song is called Three Little Birds, but the recurring line is, don't worry about a thing. I don't know if you know that song. Don't worry about a thing, you know. Easy for Bob Marley to say, I guess, some people might might think. So today we're talking about... Overcoming worry in a wor- worrisome world. And Jesus addresses this topic. And it's such an important topic. It's such an important topic. And uh, he has answers for us. He has answers for us. So I want us to go there. Matthew 6, 25. I'm going to ask you to look this up in your Bibles. Uh, the, this passage will not be on the, the screen. We don't have any slides for this passage. Uh, so look it up. Matthew six twenty five through verse 34. And uh, Jesus begins by saying, Therefore, I tell you, remember last time uh, we looked at this, he was talking about money and how money can blind us. He, he, he taught about how we should not store up uh, riches here on earth where our money can get lost, but we should store up our wealth and our riches in heaven. So, you might think, well, so maybe he's talking to people who are rich. Well, in fact, I think we all are rich compared to so many parts of the country. But in case you didn't, you didn't see how you fit into that, now he's addressing uh, a concern for people who are worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. So, if maybe the first part was to the people who considered themselves rich. So, maybe this part is to those who consider themselves not rich. Either way, he has an answer for us. So he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And of course, the obvious answer is yes, right? Peter wouldn't agree, but yes, we are much more valuable than the birds of the air and the, the, all the other animals that are part of God's creation. Verse 27, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Here's an important phrase. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, he says. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. This is God's word. Uh, I mean, we're not a very emotional church, but it would be nice if you said, Amen, this is God's word. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm teasing you because, uh, but seriously, this is God's word. And, and this is so beautiful. This is so powerful. What Jesus said what he taught is so meaningful and so helpful to us today. And several times in this passage he says, do not worry, do not worry. And he wasn't saying it in a flippant way. He's got answers for us today. Paul says something similar to the Philippians in Philippians 4-6. Paul wrote this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he also says, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he say, do not worry? I think for for one thing, Jesus is talking about more than a generalized worry. We we worry about things. We have a, a test at school and we study, prepare. Hopefully you do all the deep work of studying, and you're still, you know, there's some concern there. Somebody's driving somewhere, one of your family members, and you're you're concerned and praying that they get there safely. There's just kind of a generalized worry, but I think more than that, what Jesus is referring to here is a worry or an anxiety that fails to trust God. Did you hear what He said? You of little faith. This is a worry, this is an anxiety, that fails to trust God. So it's a worry that is incompatible with the Christian faith. This is why he says in verse 32, uh, for the pagans run after all these things. Right? So that's a, that's a, a characteristic of, of the pagans. That's a characteristic of people who don't know God. They, they worry about all these things. That's, that's the, the the lack of faith in people who don't trust God. But you who trust God, you should know better. You have little faith. So I think the worry that he's talking about here, the anxiety that Paul writes about when he says, do not be anxious for anything, is a worry or an anxiety that fails to trust God and thus is incompatible with being a Christian. It's incompatible with being a follower of God. Now I mentioned that you know today today's title is, overcoming worry in a worrisome world. We really do live in a worrisome world, a world that causes concern and anxiety. And one of the things that makes it even more difficult to address is that anxiety is really this multifaceted thing. It's not real easy to totally understand. It, it, uh, it has mul- uh, multiple aspects to it. Dr. Anthony Skoma lists three different aspects to anxiety, three different facets. He says that anxiety has a psychological, a physical, and a philosophical aspect to it. Psychological, I think we understand that. You know, psychologically, it's it's this debilitating general condition that maybe is not really focused on a on a specific issue. It could be focused on a specific danger. Specific issue, but uh, it can also be this general condition that, like I said, it's kind of a generalized worry. But it's more than just a generalized worry. It can be, an, it could be a chemical imbalance. We know that. It could be a chemical imbalance in somebody's brain. It, and, it, it, and let me tell you, it's truly frightening. This this can be truly frightening. It's a neurotic thing. It's truly frightening. And so, all I want to say about that is, if if you experience chronic anxiety chronic anxiety let me suggest that you see a doctor about that uh, i'm going to give you some spiritual solutions here right but remember that god created us spirit and body and so i'm going to give you some spiritual solutions but as it affects your body chronic or chronic rather psychological anxiety is nothing to mess around with and, and i suggest that you see a doctor you know if, if you if you break a leg then you fall and you break a leg, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm also going to say go see a doctor so he can set it for you and, and, and help you, right? So if you're dealing with some kind of chronic psychological anxiety, then uh, we'll pray for you and we'll give you the spiritual side of the answer, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong and it's not a lack of faith for you to see a doctor about that. God can heal you through through medicine. So there's a Uh, psychological aspect to it, but there's also a physical aspect to anxiety. And physically, anxiety is is called stress, right? Stress, we know that our bodies have this involuntary nervous system that when there's a danger, our bodies get triggered. That's why we get sick sometimes. And, and, and that's why our bodies sometimes begin to pump adrenaline that gets us ready for, for flight or, or fight, right? We're going to address this one way or another. We're going we're gonna to fight it or we're going to curl up and, uh, and, and try or run away from it. You know, we're ready for some kind of, of, of dramatic, drastic action. So when danger appears, our bodies have a way of getting themselves ready to do something, and we feel it. Our bodies keep the score, right? We, we feel that. Uh, and some of that is, is just natural, right? It's just, like I said, it's this involuntary nervous system that we have. But at the same time, if you're constantly living with stress, if you're constantly living with anxiety every day, day in, day out, you're, you're out constantly living with real or, or perceived dangers or financial problems or relationships uh, that are broken, and you're going to find that your body is always in that stressed condition, I mean, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Your body is not supposed to live like that. Something's going to break. Something's going to give. Uh, uh, some kind of health crisis. Uh, it's it's just not the way you're supposed to be all the time. All right? so you can burn out. Again, see your doctor about those things. There's a, a psychological and there's a physical aspect, but there's also... A philosophical aspect, and, and this is, this is kind of tricky, it's kind of hard to pin down because a philosophical aspect, you know, the, the whole philosophy, philosophical aspect of anxiety is, is just about a sense that something is wrong in this world, something is wrong with our world, and maybe a sense that something's wrong with my life. Maybe something's wrong with me. Like there's no rhyme or reason to my life. There's no purpose to me living here. There's no rhyme or reason to, to why I'm here. We're just, just kind of thrown into this world. We're kind of thrown into situations with no purpose. It's like I'm just thrown there. What is my life about? There was a, a band in the 60s and 70s. I don't know how long they, they played. Called The Doors. The Doors. Y'all ever heard of The Doors? Yeah. No, y'all are too spiritual. No, brother. Andre Krush and the Disciples. That's how I listen to. So you might have listened to The Doors. Their their leader, uh, songwriter, leader, uh, his name was Jim Morrison. And Jim Morrison wrote a song called Riders on the Storm. And uh, anytime I, I just hear the title, I hear just... Uh, the song, the lyrics of the, of the song and uh, the music. So, Riders on the Storm, he wrote these lines. He wrote, Into this world we're thrown like a dog without a bone. Riders on the storm. Into this world we're thrown like a dog without a bone. Riders on the storm. It's this, it's this idea of we're just thrown out there and we're on our own and there's no purpose. And we, you know, now with social media, uh, news, um, uh, constant 24-hour news cycle, social media breaking updates, we feel that thrown us more than ever. It's like, we don't get any rest. Our minds are just always going, always going. And so anxiety can and does infect every part of our lives, body, soul, and spirit. And so I think when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, here at the end of the passage, near the end, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. I think he's summing up uh, everything else he has said prior to that. Because worry is uh, a concern about the potential things that could happen. Not just the things that are happening, but it's a concern about the potential, what could happen tomorrow. And so I think worry is this. I think that worry is concern about the things we can't control. I think that's what Jesus is saying when he said, Don't worry about tomorrow. We can't control tomorrow. It's got its own troubles, right? We can't go into the future. So he says, Don't worry about tomorrow. I think worry is concern about the things we can't control. I think that's the essence of anxiety. The desire to control Things that, that we wish we could, but we can't. We have no way. That's why we're anxious. We feel the need to control in an area where there is no way possible for us to control. And that causes anxiety. The need to control the uncontrollable. The need to control the uncontrollable. But, but where does it come from? Where does anxiety come from? Well, as usual, the Bible here gives us far and away the most coherent and helpful answer. And uh, this is why I said this is just a wonderful passage. And I, I, I would love for you, uh, for your benefit, and I plan to do this, is to go back this week and read it and reread it and dwell on this passage with what Jesus said. And Jesus said in verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now that's a good question. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, why are you worried about this as if you have any control about it? I think he's asking, have, have, you, look, have you controlled your life up to here? Who's been keeping your life going all these years? And why are you suddenly worried about it now? See, when, when a doctor comes into the room... And he has some bad news for you. He said, I've, you know, I've got the lab report. Or a boss calls you into his office and he's got some bad news. He says, I, I, I think we just don't have to let you go. Then we begin to worry. We get anxious because we feel like things are starting to get out of control, right? But the reality is you weren't any more in control before he told you that than you are at that time. You were already out. Of, you didn't have any control before that. Just because he told you, got some bad news about your health, they go, no, start worrying. I mean, you you couldn't control anything before that, and you can't control it. Now, nothing has really changed. The hours and and days before you walked in, you weren't in control. It's all an illusion. We think that we have some sense of control, and now, oh, I've lost my job. Oh, how am I going to pay my bills? And we we think, "I've, I've got to control this. I've got to do something. See, the illusion is that we felt up to then... That we were in control. And we're getting anxious because we feel like we're starting to lose control. But that's not true. You were never in control. I was never in control. The threat that you're facing is revealing your real condition. You've always been out of control. You've always been vulnerable. You're not the one who's keeping your life going. You can't add a single hour to your life by worrying, Jesus said. So at the deepest level, anxiety has shown us what we knew all along, that we've never been in charge, we're not in control. And Jesus says we're anxious because either we're in denial of that, or maybe some people are in outright rebellion. Now, they could be, people could be in denial to the fact that we're totally dependent on God, or some people just don't want to believe that. Just they, they rebel against it. We don't like it. We're afraid of it. And that's what anxiety is. But biblically, biblically though, here, there's a wonderful truth underneath all this. And, and, and I think Jesus being brutally honest, I think it's, this is great. Once we understand that we're not in control and that we're, maybe we haven't been trusting God the way we should have, we need to start trusting Him. That can also be healing that can be healing for us. And that's what I'm hoping that these words of Jesus will become for us today. Speaking of things in the past, you know, the, the doors and their music, uh, also a while back there was a, a, and he's still alive today, he's 93 years old, a comedian and an actor named Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart was known for his deadpan delivery and his stammering delivery. And uh, so he had a couple of, of shows and he did some... Some stand-up comedy. But in one of his shows, he, he played a psychologist. And so he would um, have clients. His clients would all come in. And they'd, they'd lay out their problems. And he, he would give them his solution. And his prescription to their problems was also the same. He would say, I got two words for you. Stop it. Just stop it. You know, that was his answer to whatever they were doing. You know, I got this depression, this whatever. You know. Stop it. Just stop it. Well, when Jesus says, do not worry, he's not saying, stop it. Just stop worrying. He's not saying that. I think he loves us way too much to do that. I, I think Jesus is realistic about the weight of anxiety in our lives and on our bodies. And he wants to heal us from that. And so essentially in this passage, he says, If you are facing anxiety, if you're filled with anxiety, then there are two things that you're doing wrong. There are two things you're doing wrong. And therefore, if you want to remove anxiety from your life, you need to stop doing these two things. You need to address these two things, okay? The two things you're doing wrong, I think he would say to us today, is uh, wrong thinking and wrong priorities. First of all, I think he's telling us that anxiety... Is caused by wrong thinking. Anxiety is caused by wrong thinking. Uh, we read uh, here at the beginning when he starts giving these examples. He says, verse 26: Look at the birds of the air. Right. He says, and in um, verse 28, uh, see how the flowers of the field grow. So he says, look at, see. Um, I really kind of like the the King James uh, version of this because I think it's, well, it's correct. You know, it's, it's an accurate translation from what I understand. And I think it helps us understand a little better what Jesus was saying. In King James it says, Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies of the field. Right? The modern translations say, Look at the birds. See the grass. Um, but the word... The original word, my understanding is, means to, to ponder, to think. So the King James translators use the word consider. I think that's, that's correct. Jesus is saying if you're anxious, then you're not thinking. He's, he's saying consider, ponder, think about the birds. Think about how God takes care of them and how, how God clothes the, the, the grass or, or the lilies, as the King James Version says. He's saying, look, if you're anxious, you're not thinking, he says, do not be anxious, don't worry, but think on this, consider this, think about this. Do you see how important that is? Because what do you think faith is? What do you think faith is? Remember he said, you have little faith. What do you think faith is? Faith Is faith the absence of thinking? Is faith... Just closing your eyes and jumping in and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to jump in. Is faith saying, I don't, it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter. I don't have to think about it. Is that where faith comes from? That, that's not what the scripture teaches. Jesus is saying faith is thinking. And he's saying, he's saying anxiety, that's the absence, absence of thinking, of considering, of dwelling. Absence of those things brings anxiety, fear, and distress. See, when you're anxious, have you ever been in an anxious state where your mind is just going 100 miles an hour, it's just running, your mind is going, 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 but you're not thinking. Your mind's not thinking, you're just spewing things out. You're just, what about this, and what if this happens, and what if that, and what if, uh," and and all these scenarios, you're not really thinking. Your mind's just spewing these things out. It's throwing out all these what-ifs. And so we start listening to our mind, and we start listening to our our heart, you know, the stress, instead of talking to ourselves, instead of convincing ourselves, instead of thinking on God's word and reminding ourselves, we allow our mind to tell us and our heart to tell us what to feel. Listening to your heart is what Jesus bring, says brings the anxiety. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really you know, up with all this old music right now, but there was a, a song back uh, a long time ago by a Christian band called David and the Giants. And they, they had a song. I really liked the song. I liked the melody. I would listen to it, and it would get stuck in my head. But it was wrong. It, the, the lyrics of, of the song said, If you want to do what's right, listen to your heart. And I thought, No, that's not what Jesus says, right? The, the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Right? And I can still hear the melody, and, I, and I'll probably keep keep listening to it because I like it. And you know, I'm old enough and mature, not to, mature enough, hopefully, not to be swayed by the the wrongness in that song. But Jesus would say the same thing. You know, listening to your heart is what brings anxiety. Instead, sit down with your heart, and you say, "Let's look at the facts. Let's consider this, consider that. Talk to yourself. Talking to yourself doesn't make you crazy." Never talking to yourself might, though, fill you with anxiety and stress if you don't convince yourself of the truth. We've got to ground ourselves in a true faith. Ground ourselves in a true faith. Faith is not emptying your mind, but it's filling your mind with God's truth. And faith is believing what God says in His Word. Faith is believing what God says in His Word. Look, if you don't believe... What God has said in His Word, there's no way you're going to deal with anxiety. And that's it, period. You can't deal with anxiety if you don't believe what God says in His Word. But if you understand that He spoke, and, and, and we have it written down, and you take it and you use it to argue with your heart and your mind when they're trying to convince you that things are really bad. And so Jesus helps us to know how to argue with ourselves here. He gives us two arguments here. The first is the birds of the air. The birds of the air, this argument speaks of God's providence. Providence. He says, consider the birds. God's in charge of them. God gives them whatever they need. He says, you don't have a power to add one single minute or one hour to your life. God has all the power. He has all the power. God's in charge. God is a God of providence. Now, some of you are saying, I don't even know what providence is. Well, beside being the capital of one of our states, what state is that? Anybody know? What's Rhode Island. Yes, we got an educated crowd here. Besides being uh, the state uh, or the capital of the state of Rhode Island, Rhode Island the, which, by the way, the word Providence, which is where the founders of Rhode Island took the name for for that city, it comes from the word provide. Provide. Providence. Providence. And so, the doctrine of Providence is. Uh, the doctrine of providence of God is a belief that everything that happens to you is part of God's plan. Everything you have is part of God's provision. Ephesians 1.11 reads like this, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, who works out everything in conformity, everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Right? And then famously, Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Right. So Jesus says there is absolutely no way you could possibly deal with anxiety unless you believe that. That God is your provider. The doctrine of providence. That's what the argument of the birds in the air tells us. Now... You might be thinking, well, I don't know if that really makes me feel any better because I, in a way I still feel like I'm a puppet. I'm God's puppet. I'm just a pawn in his big game and everything I do you know, is determined by God. And so it doesn't matter what I do. Well, for people who might believe that, and there are people who believe that, people who believe that, they've moved away from the biblical doctrine of providence To a pagan belief of fate. They're not the same thing. Fate and providence are not the same thing. Uh, Fate says that I just bear no responsibility for my life. I'm just a pawn. God is directing everything and I'm just an actor. And so uh, including my sinful acts, I don't bear any responsibility for my sinful acts. Because it's all just fate. That's fate. But providence says that God works through your life. And sometimes He even works through sinful acts. Not that they're right. They're wrong. They're still sinful. In fact, you're still responsible for sinful acts. Providence says, yeah, you're still responsible for that. But you know what? God can redeem it. Yeah, you're still going to face consequences for what you did. But God can turn things around. He can redeem it. That's the doctrine of providence. And perhaps... And I think this is important. Uh, the, the best way to understand this way, perhaps, uh, this doctrine is through the answer that Joseph gave to his brothers after they sold him as a slave. And then he encountered them many years later when he was second in command in, in all of Egypt. And when he spoke to them, he, he said this to them. We will find this in Genesis 50, 20. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And it's true, his brothers intended to harm him. They wanted uh, Some of them wanted him to be killed. One of the brothers said, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to slave traders. God didn't make his brothers sin, but he used it. He used it to save a nation. You know, it, 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 it was something terrible that Joseph went through. It was terrible, it was awful. But, but it became part of God's plan, and he used it for good. But here's something else as we just stay on this story just a little bit longer. Can you imagine how much maturity it took for Joseph to arrive at that conclusion? For Joseph to say, you intended to hurt me, but God intended it for something good, to save a nation. How much maturity does it take for a person to arrive at that conclusion? I mean, do you think that perhaps his heart was telling him, Uh, uh, that his brothers deserved the worst fate? You think maybe his mind was telling him, remember how they left you to die? Remember how you cried out and they ignored you? Remember how how they tricked our father into thinking you were dead and made him suffer? You think maybe his mind, his heart were telling him those things, and yet he arrived at the conclusion uh, uh, that this was the right understanding by focusing, I believe, on God's provision And that overcame all these other, uh, uh, this sense of of anxiety and anger and whatever else uh, he was dealing with. And I think that's our challenge today, to go from thinking, I've got to make this happen. Things are falling apart. i got to make it happen, to all things work together for good to them that love God. Yes, God takes care of the birds, but they have to do some of the work, right? They still have to do some of the work. They have to fly. They have to gather, you know, the sticks to build a nest. And God provides for them. But we, you know, there's a part that we have to do. But we're not going to say to God that we don't need him. And so when we, when we say, things are really hard right now. But I love God. And therefore, I believe that he's going to work this mess out for my good. All, all things work together for good. To them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. So when we say, okay, I don't like what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust God. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen with this relationship. I don't know what's going to happen with my health. I don't know what's going to happen with this huge mistake that I made. This is a self-inflicted wound. But I know that God is going to redeem it because God is in the redemption business. That's what He does. That, folks, is a statement of faith. That's a statement of faith. And God loves faith because it means you're finally giving yourself over to Him and you're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. When you stop trying to be the king and you start trying to serve the king, just worship the king, serve the king, that's when you realize, okay, God can take care of this. That's a birds of the air argument. And then Jesus is trying to help us understand here how uh, anxiety is is caused by um, wrong thinking. And so he uses the birds of the air argument, but then he uses also the grass of the fields argument. And the grass of the fields argument speaks to us simply of God's love. God's love. This is different, right? The, The birds of the air argument is to say, God's in control. He's in control. I trust Him. I trust Him. But the grass of the field argument is where Jesus says, your father knows what you need. That's where we need to start arguing God's love. He doesn't say simply God knows what you need. He says your father, he's your father. He knows what you need. So not only do we trust his ways, but we also trust his love. We trust his, his love. Uh, you go like this, you know. Talk to yourself and to your heart, to your mind. and, And tell yourself, you know that God loves you more than anything you can possibly imagine. You know that God knows the number of hairs on your head, and He knows how many tears you have shed, how many tears have come down your cheeks. You know that because the Bible tells you that? Speak to yourself. Remind yourself those things. You know that if God didn't spare His only Son for you, how is He going to fail to give you everything that you need, the Bible says? You argue with yourself, and hopefully that will help you understand that if you continue to doubt God, if you continue to doubt God's love and that God has His best, your best interest in mind, it's like you telling God daily, Lord, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you have my best interest in mind. Anxiety is, is basically saying to God, Lord, you emptied heaven of your greatest treasure and you sacrificed your son for me, voluntarily for me. But I, I'm just not sure how you're going to handle this week for me. I just... I'm not sure that you really want to do it. I'm not sure you have a handle on my life, God. When you realize that you're saying it that way, you hopefully come to the understanding that you're offending God's love. You're offending God's love. If my wife were to say to me in the morning when we leave home, if she were to say to me, have a great day and please, please don't cheat on me today. I'd be offended. What? If she were to say, "Yeah, have a great day," but don't just don't don't cheat on me. Just don't cheat on me. Say what? What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. But that's what we do to God when we say, "Lord, I, I know I I read the Bible. I just don't know that You really love me, the way that the Bible says and Jesus says You love me. And I don't know that You really have my best interest in, in mind. I don't know that Your love really goes that far." Uh, for me. We're fundamentally thinking about God incorrectly. Wrong thinking. But let me quickly go here. I want to try to finish this up. Let me quickly go to the second one and I'll be quick on this. Anxiety is caused by wrong priorities. Wrong priorities. Matthew 6:33. But seek first. We sang our first song today. We sang those words. We seek your kingdom first. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, the things that we're worried about, the things we're anxious about, will be given to you as well. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Jesus came to their house and Mary sat down at his feet to listen to him teach. But uh, Martha ran around. She ran around getting things ready to serve Jesus. And uh, in fact, the Bible says she was anxious doing my watch is talking to me now. She was, uh, she was anxious doing many things. And the word that we find... What am I saying that is triggering my Siri, my watch? Um, refocus. Okay, so the Bible says that she was anxious doing many things. And the word that is used there for anxious, it's the same word for worry that Jesus used in Matthew 6. And here's the way that Jesus answered her in Luke 10, 41. He said, Martha, Martha. Because remember, Martha complained to Jesus said, Say something to my sister Mary. She's just sitting there. I'm doing all the work here in the kitchen. So Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Turn, he was saying, turn your focus to me, Martha. That's what Jesus was saying. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Worry is a lack of, uh, of the correct perspective, the correct priorities. It's a lack of proportion. Like things aren't in the right proportion in your life. you ever had that feeling? Things aren't in the right proportion. You're spending way too much time... Worrying or involved or doing something and Jesus is not in the center. When Jesus is in the center, then anxiety is diminished. If your profession or a relationship or your material comfort, money, whatever, anything else, even your children are in the center, then there will be anxiety. If anything else is more important than Jesus, you're going to be torn up with anxiety. Anxieties come from a lack of correct proportion. And Jesus says, put me first. Seek first my kingdom and righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of. The things you're anxious about. The things you're worried about. Seek Jesus first. Time with Jesus. Your prayer time. In your life. In your prayer life. In your finances. In your relationships. Fellowship with other Christians. It means you grow spiritually. Because you're putting Jesus first. And Jesus is saying, you do that and and you will see that anxiety will diminish. Diminish." Let me finish with this question. It's one thing to believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. Oh, I, I believe in God. You believe in God? Yeah, go down the street, ask people, you know... Uh, Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God and what He says and to trust Him. And so my question to you is, do you believe God or do you just believe in Him? Do you trust God? This is an opportunity for us to find healing in Jesus' words and to learn to trust him. I don't want him to say to me, you got little faith, you have little faith, you're not trusting me. But I want to have the right thinking, the right priority. And I want to say to Jesus, I believe in you and I trust you and I will live with this trust. Would you bow for prayer? Father, we're overwhelmed with your love, your care, and concern that we, that we see, that we read in this passage. There's a love there for us, God. And I, and I pray that today we would be less overwhelmed with anxiety until it's gone completely, and more overwhelmed with your love. And with understanding, the right thinking. That you take care of us. You take care of us. There's nothing that we can go through that you cannot take care of. And even things that aren't good, things that we go through in life, aren't, they're just not good, Lord. But they work together for good because you find a way to redeem them. And if we could just trust and just wait, if we could understand that Sometimes a gap between your promises to us and the answer, the fulfillment of the promises, sometimes a gap is, is more than just a day or two. It could be a week or a month or more. And we've got to learn during that whole time to just trust you. So today, Father, I just want to say for myself, forgive me. Because I've been guilty of offending your love. I've been guilty of not trusting you the way I should. And so I ask that you forgive me, that you would help me as I call on you right now, as we call on you right now. Help us to be strengthened by your promise, by your word, by your spirit, and by your love. We turn to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name.